Star Wars Auditions, Tom Servo, screen test, marker. Oh, can I slate your name, please? I'm Tom Servo, SAG-AFTRA, Equity, DGA. Slate your name? Crow T. Robot, non-union. I'll be reading for the part of Kylo Ren. Oh, sorry, we had you down for BB-8. Oh, okay. Because I'm a robot. A ten man's a ten man, right? Because we all look alike. Beep, beep, beep. What's with this dialogue? That's how BB-8 communicates, he beeps. So one robot is fluent in over six million forms of communication and walks around on two legs comprehending subtle cultural and environmental nuances? And the other one beeps? Yes. Abby who? Abby normal. Hello folks, this is Ryan with Abnormal State Theater here with a very belated short take being recorded in the Clockwork Cardiac Mobile Studio aka my car to catch up all you fine folk with what's going on with the show. Episode 9 is in production now and hopefully will be in the feed by mid-February. There's going to be some changes to certain aspects of the podcast. Um, in the intro, just a very slight change there, uh, the artwork, and it's also possible that instead of hosting the episodes for free on Internet Archive like I have been, I may finally knuckle under and host them with a paid hosting service. Uh, right now, Podbean's probably the leading candidate, but time will tell. In any case, it'll probably be something after Episode 9's finally out. In other belated news, I saw Rogue One, a Star Wars story, about four or five times while it was in the theaters. Now, if you want to avoid spoilers, then you can probably just skip the rest of this show because it's going to deal primarily with Rogue One. It was, in a word, tremendous. Oh, it's beautiful. I enjoyed it even more than I did Episode 7. To be quite honest, on my personal favorite scale for Star Wars, it ranks just below uh, my top two of Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope. It's a solid story, uh, very much that of a war picture, as opposed to the fantasy sci-fi that's Lucasfilm's stock and trade. The acting performances are uniformly excellent, just across the board. Uh, Felicity Jones as Jen Erso, Diego Luna as Captain Cassian Andor, both bring an intensity to their roles that make them totally believable and easy to get behind. Uh, Forrest Whitaker as Saw Guerrera, even though his screen time is fairly limited, he does manage to elevate every scene he's in. Now, I know that previously I said that I'd like to have seen Christoph Waltz play Director Krennic, but now I see the error of my ways, and I can totally see why Ben Mendelsohn was ideal for this role. If Christoph Waltz had played uh, Orson Krennic, he would have played him as a patrician, an old-school aristocrat, basically another Tarkin. And in Star Wars, you can only have one Tarkin. There's only room enough for one, and we'll get to him in a few moments. Donnie Yen absolutely nails the role of the blind warrior monk Shirut Imwe. And let's be honest, everyone says he isn't Force-sensitive, but I say that's a load of bull. He at least deserves the title of Honorary Jedi. I mean, think about it. On Edu, he took out a TIE fighter in mid-flight with a single bowcaster shot in the middle of a rainstorm. 
and he's blind. And uh, Zhang Wen as uh, Bay's Malbus joins Donnie Yen as the best couple in the movie. You almost shot me. You're welcome. Theirs is a friendship definitely forged by the Force. You can tell these two guys really care about each other and have each other's back. Now, most sci-fi fans know Alan Tudyk for his role as Wash on Firefly and Serenity, and rightly so. Ah, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Ah, ah, ah. Mine is an evil laugh. But he's also a renowned voice actor, and his motion capture and voice portrayal of the reprogrammed Imperial droid K2SO almost steals the movie. There's a 26% chance of failure. How much further? I, I don't know, I'm not sure. I never really come this way, but we're close. We're close, I know that. Well, now there's a 35% chance of I failure. I don't want to know. Thank you. I understand. I mean, personality-wise, he's the Star Wars universe's answer to Marvin the Paranoid Android. Sorry. Did I say something wrong? Pardon me for breathing, which I never do anyway, so I don't know why I bother to say, Oh, God, I'm so depressed. Although Marvin never picked up one stormtrooper to beat another stormtrooper to death with him. The most surprising CGI performance, though, was the one that resurrected the late, great Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin. Now, I know there's a wild divergence of opinion as to how appropriate it was to recreate Cushing's face. Some people say it was disrespectful, others say it wasn't because they got the permission of his estate. I'm not getting into that argument. But suffice it to say that had I not known that Cushing was dead, I wouldn't have been able to tell that Tarkin's facial expressions were all computer generated. I wish I could say the same for the CGI version of Princess Leia that closes out the movie. She looks pretty good until she opens her mouth, and then the illusion falls apart. Cause, I mean, with Tarkin, all the facial features were acting in concert with one another, there wasn't anything really out of the ordinary. On the other hand, with Leia, it just seemed like everything was floating in the middle of her face, and it was very uncanny valley. And it's kind of sad, especially when you take into account Carrie Fisher's recent passing, and then her mom passing the day after. In any case, it's not bad enough to break the movie. One thing that Rogue One manages to repair to an extent is Darth Vader's image as a villain. Because, quite honestly, he kind of suffered a bit after the prequels were done with him. But in Rogue One, the first time you see him, without armor, suspended in that back to tank, it gives you chills. Even in that state, he brings back the old menace that made him so awesome in the original trilogy. His castle there on Mustafar also really tells us a lot about his headspace. Instead of him staying as far away as possible from that hellish, volcanic lava world that literally burned away his humanity, he owns that pain as literally as possible. He lives there, he makes a home there, and lets it become a source of power for him. Then when he meets Director Krennic and puts him in his place with that force choke, while his back was turned on him no less, yeah, Krennic has no idea how much of a break Vader cut him there, considering how we've seen Vader deal with people who displeased him in other movies. Apology accepted, Captain Nida. 
And at the very end, where Vader mows through a whole platoon's worth of rebel soldiers like a red and black buzzsaw, only to see the ship carrying the stolen Death Star plans just escape by a hair's breadth, it really informs the scenes in Episode 4 where Vader's anger is cranked all the way up to 11. You know what I mean. Usually Vader kind of smolders, but at the beginning of A New Hope, he's actually yelling at people. Commander, tear this ship apart until you found those plans and bring me the passengers. I want them alive! You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away! Now, Vader doesn't really need an excuse to be angry here. But now that we know what we do from the closing scenes of Rogue One, which take place literally just before what we see in A New Hope, we get a fuller understanding of where he's coming from, as well as how completely exhausted and nervous the rebel soldiers on board are. The production design on this film is quite faithful to the universe we first visited in Episode 4. There's nothing that really rings wrong, unless you really wanted to get nitpicky about stuff like, oh, the design of the Rebel rank insignia badges, which is just ever so slightly different to what we saw in Episode 4 and 5. But even then, you could probably explain it away as a personal style choice among Rebel officers. Uh, the design of the U-Wing craft that the Rebels use is excellent, although I disagree with it being advertised as a fighter uh, whenever the model kits and the toys were all released. It's not a fighter. It's clearly a troop transport and a forward air support craft. People like to ask where it was in later battles like Hoth and Endor, and the answer simply is, a craft like that just wouldn't be suitable in those circumstances but on Scarif, it was perfect for what it was called on to do. The same thing with the TIE Strikers. They had a clearly defined role on Scarif as an atmospheric defense craft for a permanent Imperial military installation. So they're not out of place at all. I actually had to see them in action to understand this. I also kind of like the little nod to vintage German firearms in the design of Jin Erso's blaster. Much in the same way that Han Solo's sidearm of choice was based on the old Mauser C-96, Jin's weapon is based on a Luger P-08, and actually I'm working on a prop replica of it right now. All in all, I loved Rogue One, and I refuse to say it's not a part of the main saga. Everyone says, no, this is just a Star Wars story. It's a side story. It's not part of the primary saga. Bull. With the right editing, you could fuse Rogue One and A New Hope into a single cohesive 5 plus hour movie. I may have to try it sometime just as a little editing exercise. And to touch on another fandom that's taken up much of my time lately, folks like myself who donated to the cause of bringing back Mystery Science Theater 3000 have started to get their Kickstarter rewards. In my case, that meant a very nice t-shirt with the classic MST3K logo on it. And I'll also be getting my name listed in the show credits, along with probably some 20,000 plus other backers. Not quite sure how that's going to work. And I'm also planning on setting aside some of this year's tax refund to get the new season on Blu-ray once it comes out. Although if you have Netflix, you may be able to see it as soon as late March. But I know me, I'm a very tactile person. As opposed to Netflix and to other streaming services, I'd rather have the actual disc in my hands. In any case, I just can't wait. Rogue 
Anyway, that's it for this short take. So we'll close things out with another classic MST tune. This is Ryan with Abnormal State Theater, and we'll see you next time. Welcome, my friends. We are very fortunate to have with us today the United Servo Academy Men's Chorus, directed by uh, United Servo Academy Men's Choral Director, Vice Brigadier Sir Thomas Bullhead Servo, conducting them in the United Servo Academy Men's Chorus uh, uh, hymn. All right, eyes front. Three and... Here's to the guys and gals who like to fly. Flying so high with some guy in the sky. Skyrockets in flight. Afternoon delight, Captain High at your service. Wouldn't you like to fly in my beautiful? Balloon. Take these broken wings and learn to fly me to the moon. Sail on a silver bird. Have you ever heard that the bird is the world? In a big country, dreams stay with you. Come along with me, Lucille, in my merry oldmobile. We are kids for saving Earth. We are fans of Colin Firth. Off we go to yonder blue. We really move our tails for you. Cross the wideness Ah, ah, fantastic, absolutely fantastic. That was the United Servo Academy Men's Chorus. Uh, and that sonorous tone that you heard, of course, has to be due in large part to the fantastic conductor. What are you doing? What are you doing? Please stop that music. Please, please do not, do not continue with this. Vice Brigadier Sir Thomas Bullhead, I implore you, stop the music. Stop, I say. Stop the music. Uh, Sylvester, can we get an engineer in here, please? In Studio A, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. You have been listening to a Clockwork Cardiac Production.